Hey, one of the, the reason that uh, I think most of us are following Jesus is because we've discovered that, like, with him, there's just incredible life. There's just, like, unbelievable life that's found in Jesus. You know, lots of other things can be tricky, you know, life, for starters, um, the church, uh, you, know, uh, you know, your family, uh, your boss, whatever. But Jesus is just awesome, eh? And he's just like, oh, sign me up, eh? Um, and what I want to just be talking about over this next little while is like how we can just pursue the life found in Jesus. Just so that we're really, really clear, um, all the stuff we're going to talk about today and in this coming series is not like a salvation thing or a are you loved by God thing. It's nothing to do with that. So again, like this is all optional icing on the cake stuff that we're going to look at, but it's good icing. Like it's like this is like life, like the life that we can have in Jesus is so rich and deep, and it's actually meant to get better and better and better as every year goes past. It's actually meant to get better, but the reality is that often we get stuck in our Christian walk. Like we get stuck. In fact. Um, Peter Scazzaro, who we're going to actually do a whole course of his in Term 3 as a church, but he's done a whole lot of research, and they reckon about 85% of Christians are just stuck in their walk with Jesus, just haven't moved that far. Um, someone once said, uh, this guy, he, was 20, he said, I've been a Christian for 22 years, but he says, I'm not a 22-year-old Christian, I'm a one-year-old Christian 22 times. And I'm like, oh man, this can be really full on when you're like, oh, you know, is this year just a repeat of last year and the year before that and the year before that? And I'm like, surely there's got to be more than this. And there is. There's so much more. And so the big thing that we're trying to do when we sign up with Jesus is, is we're, going to, we're saying, I want to follow you, Jesus. So again, in Christianity, it's not about believing in Jesus. Like the demons believed in Jesus. So belief is important, but it's not the main thing. It's to go and make disciples, followers, apprentices, people that learn to live the way of Jesus. Like imitate him in terms of how he lived, learn his worldview, like try and do the things that Jesus did. All of that stuff, that's actually the journey. And it gets richer and richer as every year goes past. And it's always an adventure. And you never get to the finish line. And it's really exciting. And life gets more beautiful. Beautiful, you flourish, it's just off the chain, um, but it's a real, it's a fight, it's a narrow road and all the rest of it. So Jesus, uh, Jesus said some interesting things, uh, let's have a look at like this, I went, I was like doing a whole lot of work, um, and this is our life right, yay, this is exciting, so it's pretty depressing, but you know, baby, blah, and who else is freaking out about how quick life goes past? Right, it's like whoa, and this is where like this series is a little bit of like, guys, life's going quick. Let's not waste it, and let's not suffer unnecessarily through it by just living like culture. But let's let's just live like Jesus, which is beautiful and, and flourishing. And suffering will come, and life will get difficult. But at least we've worked on some stuff that mean it's a little less difficult than if we're just subscribed to culture's way and just had some sort of cultural Christianity that's turning up on a Sunday and nothing more, okay? So anyway, there's like 229 references to the life that Jesus brings in the New Testament alone, okay? So like, 
Jesus is all about us knowing life in the presence. John 15 uh, verses 4 to 6. I don't have that one up there. Abide in me as I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So Jesus is saying if you want to have life like with fruit, and the fruit that John's talking about predominantly is love, joy, and peace. They're the main things that John emphasizes in terms of Jesus' life. So he's saying if you want fruit, and that's the first three of the fruit of the Spirit for the observant ones, if you want that in your life, you've got to remain in me, abide in me, just be soaking and marinating your life in me. Like Again, try and imagine what your life would be like with more of those three elements in your soul. Like, Can you imagine that your predominant experience is feeling loved by Jesus? I'm loved by you. Like that little song is like, I'm loved by you. It's like it's kind of your theme song of your life and you're just stoked about it. You're like, oh, I'm loved. And like, you know, tough day at work. Yeah, whatever, I'm loved, you know. And it's like, you know, getting driven up the wall, I'm loved, you know, kids driving your boat, I'm loved. And it's just like, and then there's this capacity to love others. So like, instead of being distracted from your relationships and instead of being distant in your relationships, even the tricky ones you have a love for, can you imagine how beautiful that would be? Joy. This is epic. It's like if you follow Jesus, according to Galatians 5, the evidence that you're doing it properly is that you have more joy in your life. And not just joy for you, but like sympathetic joy where you can celebrate others' wins, where you're like, that's awesome. You got that promotion. You know, and it's like, you just, what? You've got a whole lot of extra money that you didn't expect. Yay, I'm dead postal, but I'm still stoked for you. You know, joy. And it's like, but more than that, this deep joy from God where it's like this internal giggle, again, because you're loved and because you're just looking at this world of beauty, even in the midst of the, the sadness and whatnot, and he's just filled with joy, peace. Oh, sign me up. Like how much of our culture is just living in stress and anxiety and rush. Jesus did not say, come to me and I will make you stressed. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. So like learning, like what does it look like so that this year there's more peace in my life than last year? Anyway, the, the danger is we can progress or plateau and sometimes even regress in terms of our walk with the Lord. But we follow the one who brings life. Whoever finds their life, uh, whoever finds their life, will lose it. Now, Jesus, we know this because often people are like, if only I get this, then I'll have life, promotion, money, marriage, you know, celebrity status, whatever. And then most of us don't get it, so we live with this perpetual disappointment, right? And then there's a few people that do and discover that, like Solomon said, who got it all, it's meaningless. It's like oh, it doesn't actually fulfill me. So you. But whoever loses their life, so it's like, not my life anymore, I'm going to live for Jesus, finds true life. The thief comes to kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. That's been preached about so many times, but I think we've struggled with the application of that, which is what we're going to look at in the series. In him was life, and that life was the light of the world. Jesus rebuked some of his, um, the nerdy uh, Jews, the Pharisees, who are like, you know, you study the Scriptures, like little Bible nerds diligently because you think that they have eternal life. Yeah, these, the Scriptures aren't life. They point to the one. They testify, you refuse to come to me and actually have that life. You can actually be an academic Christian, but not experiencing the life that's in relationship with Jesus, right? Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Honestly, I could, et cetera, et cetera, right? I don't know, you guys are going, how long are we going to? 
I was tempted to go through the 230 uh, to make my point. It's interesting that I love uh, in Acts 2.28, I love this. You have made known to me the paths of life and you fill me with joy in your presence. He wants to lead us into places of life. Oh, a couple more, sorry. Let me... When I was a child, so again, the, but the, the journey of, of following Jesus is actually a journey to maturity, to greater union with Jesus. And so again, the invitation is that we grow. It's not a salvation thing, underline, 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 underline. It's not a, like a works thing, underline, underline. It's, it's discovering how good it can be with Jesus. We're meant to mature in that. And how, like, so when we're a child, we talk like a child, thought like a child. When I became a man, I put that stuff behind me. So again, this isn't saying a salvation thing. It's saying when you start following Jesus, there's going to be a whole lot of habits still in your life that aren't that great, right? Some of you boys know exactly what I'm talking about, and all of us have hopefully gone through this, where it's like, you know, it's probably not good to smoke meth, just in general, you know? Like, and so many of our boys have come to faith, and like, that's not part of their life anymore. It's childish. I'll now put that behind me. I'm walking like a man. Good. Uh, I love this. We've been transformed from glory to glory into his image to be more like Jesus with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In Hebrews 5, they actually have to rebuke the church at times because it's like they're saying, man, by now you guys should be teachers, but you still need the basics all the time. You're like that guy who's just doing the first year over and over again. You, you need milk still rather than the solid food. If you live on milk being still an infant, blah, blah, blah. Um, is not acquainting with the teaching about righteousness. Righteousness is not like good behavior. It's right living that brings life. So it's like you've actually lost that and you haven't trained yourselves to distinguish good from evil. It's like that is not a good choice, but you're still doing it. Uh, and then 1 Peter 2 verse 2, like newborn babies crave spiritual milk so that it, by it you may grow up in your salvation. So not the salvation reduced to going to heaven, which I've put in brackets there. It's actually in my notes, but I cut and paste. Uh, that's not in the Bible, the bracket, but that's in my notes, just FYI. Um, this whole thing of actually, it's not about, it's about knowing and experiencing that salvation now. And so uh, the, there is meant to be a journey of, uh, of growing in Jesus, and that's what we're going to be looking at, and let me unpack that a little bit. I'm going to, as part of this series, I'm going to give challenges at the end of the talk, a beginner, an intermediate, and an advanced challenge. One of the challenges uh, this week, which is the intermediate one, is to listen to a talk that, talk, that explains uh, the stages of faith that we can often go through, that for 2,000 years, the church has said there's these stages that we often work through. So I'm just going to unpack these a little bit, but they're in a lot more depth in the talk. That's your challenge, one of the challenges for the week. Uh, and I'll um, explain what I mean by that a little bit more. But... There's three stages and a pre-stage. The pre-stage is what the early church called an awakening. So you go from like, there's no God to like, oh, God's real and I think it's found in Jesus. Um, and we come awake to the reality of God in a culture that's gone to sleep really. So it's this kind of rebirth. And, uh, and you may be at a stage today where that's important, like that's a good step, where you're on this journey and you're like, and you're here today, which takes courage because you're like, I think, I think there's more to life than this, and I think God might be who he says he is, so I'm going to kick the tires on this Jesus guy and see if, you know, good. Uh, but then after that, the early church said there's this um, stage, the first stage, we begin to practice the disciplines and follow the way of Jesus, and they had this first stage called purgation, which is not purgatory, even though it's got a similar idea, and, and, and we don't go there personally theologically, but that's okay. But in terms of purgation now, where we begin to come against um, the sin that's in our lives, 
and, uh, and kind of God begins to, to heal us from different layers of sin. Now, sin's just stuff that wrecks our life, okay? So let's just, to a basic definition, it's just stuff that really makes, it may feel good, but it, it actually dehumanizes you and hurts others. And so the first layer that they talked about God beginning to kind of sort through was what they call gross sins. It's like the big bickies, you know? And this is some of the stuff that Galatians 5 lists before they talk about the fruit of the Spirit, like sexual immorality and impurity and debauchery. Just love that word. Um, idolatry and witchcraft and hatred and discord and jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, uh, all of these sort of things. And so these are the kind of big things that, uh, and they're often the first to go. That may take a few years, but God just begins to heal us from those addictive behaviors and those really broken things. The second layer uh, is the conscious sins, which are things that are like socially acceptable, but they're not the way of Jesus. One of the most obvious ways is uh, to explain this probably is like the thing of sexuality. Uh, the church has a very different worldview than our culture has. And so as you kind of stay close to Jesus, there's the sense of him inviting us into a lifestyle. Uh, like, you know, okay, another example is like Game of Thrones. You know, it's like socially acceptable, maybe even in the church to look at, but it's actually pornography. Let's call it what it is. And so while culture may say it's acceptable, we're saying no, like God's conscience, like God's just by his spirit just kind of says, no, nah, that's not good for you. That stirs up lust for someone that's not your significant other or maybe, you know, whatever it may be, leads you into places. Materialism, right? You know, just uh, culture celebrates it. Like, get your toys, man, no dramas. But then, like, when you follow Jesus, he's like, man, it's about living beautifully and simply and being generous and all. And it's, we, it's a different sort of thing. So he begins to heal us and set us free from these things. The um, gossip, lots of things. Like, these, are, these aren't addiction things, but they're, well, they can be, but they're more, uh, they can be conscious sins. Jesus talked about this like being hard hearted. Where it's like, even though I know this isn't great, I'm still going to do it. You know? And Jesus just begins to put his finger on those things in his life and begins to set us free from those things. The third layer is those unconscious sins. And this is where you begin to let the Spirit of God reveal to us aspects of our inner being that have been invisible to our view, but that we now begin to see as hindrances to our growth towards wholeness in the image of Christ. And so, like, for example, taking anger. Anger may be like, level one anger would be like I physically hurt somebody. Like I've got anger issues and so I beat somebody up. So God begins to heal you of that and begins to set you free. Level two is like where you're not actually doing the, the gross sins, but they're, kind of, they're, still, uh, they're still sins in the sense that you could be yelling and losing your rag. Socially, maybe a bit acceptable, but just not really nice way to treat people. The third level though, and this is when we're talking about unconscious sins, is where there's, uh, there's some, you, you, you don't yell, you don't hit, but inside you're seething with contempt. You're just angry about the world or angry about things and you define that person by their behaviors or there's this undercurrent of bitterness and it can take a long time to purge out. This is at the core of the Sermon of the Mount. Jesus was like, it's not about your external behaviors. It's about what's flowing from your heart. So as we journey with God, he brings healing to these things. And then the fourth level is this trust structure. This is, we're getting deep here and, and we're going to, trust me, we're going to lighten up in a second. Um, but this is what they call these, and this is again 2,000 years of church history looking at how do people change. God begins to put his finger in this fourth level on these deep-seated attitudes and inner orientations of our being out of which our behavior patterns flow. These deep inner postures 
uh, of our being. These are the things that do not rely on God, but ourself for our well-being. So God begins to heal us, and they're not sinful behaviors at all, but it can be our dependence on things like exercise or marriage or work or ministry, things that we look to for our peace and happiness that don't go by the name of Jesus. So God, after a while, and again, nothing wrong with those things. It's just that we're looking to them to feed us in a being in a way that's actually it's not meant to ever fulfill. So God begins to set us free where Jesus is enough, where our walk with him is so, so deep and, and so regular and so real that, that, that we're freed from that pursuit of I need this to be in control or I need this for my world to be okay. And the, what, the best way to test those things is often when they get removed to see how we cope. And so it can be our identity in lots of things. Uh, and in this, um, as you kind of get free from this stuff, you're most free to love because you're not like worried about all these things. Like Again, God just heals you so that you just can, can, can express his love in the most incredible way. That's the first stage with four subpoints. Then the early church says, then there's this kind of season of illumination where you get really proficient at following Jesus. There's more and more, it's like the fruit of the Spirit. You move from the pleasure principle, so like where you're trying to do things so that they feel good, to a life of love. Our culture lives by the pleasure, pleasure principle. If it's, it's got to feel good, that's what we're trying to pursue. The way of Jesus becomes this way of self-giving love. And so more and more, that's part of our, of our lives. Uh, we move from a place where God's kind of there, he's certainly there on Sundays, but to a God being very present with us every day. We deeply believe what Jesus believes. His worldview becomes our worldview. Jesus' mental maps of reality become how we see the world. And Paul calls this the mind of Christ or the renewing of our mind. That's how we live. We live in harmony with God's will. And then the ultimate pinnacle stage of faith is what the early church called union. And that's where... Uh, that's like the most holy you can get in a psychological and spiritual uh, way, this side of resurrection. Uh, you know, I look, I think of my grandfather, you know. This isn't pipe dream stuff, by the way. Like, I know that some of you guys are like, oops, stage 1.1, 1. 1, you know, like a lot of work to go. And, and it's not like you're all at just at one stage. Parts of our lives are at different stages. But ultimately, there's this thing where we uh, are abiding in the Lord, as Jesus said, I in them and you in me, that they may be brought to complete unity in the love that we have all together. It's like you're just sitting in that Trinitarian love constantly. And there's this deep, deep union with God. So I look at that list and I'm like, oh dear, long way to go, right? Um, but I don't want us to be a church that's static in our journey with Jesus. And I think we've got a huge problem in the church. This is a very sweeping general statement. I think we've got a problem in the Western church in terms of pursuing and following the way of Jesus. We become the faith and we get stuck. The early church did not. And so they began to go, what is, how can we grow and how can we change? And so uh, this is where we're going to get super intentional at Bay Vineyard around pursuing healthy change to become more like the way of Jesus so that we can work in a healthy healthy way through the stages of faith. So the million dollar question is, how do we change? How do we get transformed from glory to glory? Well, there's two kind of levels to this. Firstly, there's passive change. So this is stuff you're not in control of, but it shapes you. So these may be, um, you know, time is a good passive change agent. Believe it or not, I've mellowed. 
Right, I've mellowed a lot. Like, I saw Andy and Nina um, Tate from Blueprint Days, is from our church way back in the day. We haven't seen each other for at least 10 years, maybe longer. And it's like, he's like, bro, you're more mellow. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, believe it or not, yeah. Like, you know, I've, I've chilled out. Andy and Jim, I've got historical friends here. I've mellowed. But it's mostly just been time that's done that, right? And some of you guys have gone through real trauma, you know, and real grief. And these things change you fundamentally. For better or for worse, they will change you. Um, And there's also things like the stage of life. So like a lot of us are in this kind of um, kids, uh, you know, young children phase. We've got like 70 children often um, under seven or eight in our church on any given Sunday. So that's a lot of tired parents in the room, right? So we're in this stage where it's like we're working, we've got little children. So that stage of life is going to shape you. A lot has to die you know, in terms of like just going surfing whenever I want or, you know, spending money on toys and that sort of thing. Like, you know, there's stage of life. But active change, active uh, as, as choices we make, habits we pursue, things I am in control of that I'm going to shoot for. So they've done all this research around how people change, and it's very interesting. They say you've got to have two things if you want to change. Number one, you've got to have an incentive to change. And so for us, our incentive is that we want to live more like Jesus. Now, that's an option. It's an invitation. You don't have to do that. Most people don't. But as for me, I'm going for it. I want to live more like Jesus. Why? Because I'm sick of being tired, and I'm sick of being stressed, and I'm sick of feeling flat, and I'm sick of disconnected relationships, and I'm sick of of going, man, I go to church on Sunday, but my Monday to Friday, you know, how radically different is it? Am am I just enjoying this love of God and walking at the pace of Jesus and abiding in Him and having His rhythms and having a diary that honors Him or whatever it may be, right? So I'm like, I want more love. I want more joy. I want more peace. Sign me up. I want it. Even if it's tough, I want it. Even if it's a bit tricky, even if, okay, I want it. So that's our incentive. But the second thing that that all the research says, and Jesus modeled it, I don't know how we missed it, is you've got to have accountability if you want to change. So Jesus lives with these 12 guys and just holds them to account to living in a different way. They've done research. In fact, it was the American Society of Training and Development did a study on accountability, and it was fascinating. They discovered that if you want to change and you tell somebody what the goal is in terms of you changing and, and ask them to hold you accountable. So if I say to Chris, I, you know, I want to eat a lot more salad, hashtag fat Thor, right? So I'm like, you know, I need to eat a lot more salad. And so I'm going to tell Chris, bro, you got to hold me accountable. Uh, Then there's a 65% chance I'm going to hit that goal. It's almost nothing if you don't say anything to somebody, like zero. Now listen to this. If me and Chris take the next step of making a regular appointment where he asks me that question and it's in my diary when we have that initial conversation, the stat, get you ready for this, goes up to 95%. Okay? So I'm like, that's huge. Now, we've been having a bit of a Petri dish kind of um, lab thing going on with our upper click group that our boys have been now doing for nearly a year. And for some of our boys, we get together on Thursday morning at 7 a.m. at the Milk and Honey Cafe in Ahuriri, and all we do is hold each other accountable to our private words with Jesus. So every single week, I'm going to sit there with people like Mike and Andy and, uh, and others, mainly, <laughs> and Jake, and we, there's a revolving door here, hashtag life and, 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 children and wives with bung backs and that sort of thing, but, um, and, and it ebbs and flows, but at least 
me, Mike, and uh, and any of the real regulars are there, and um, and we ask each other every week. So, how's it going in your private world with Jesus? And we started a year ago, and in all honesty, we were all, we were all struggling, which is very generous. <laughs> struggling, <laughs> almost non-existent stuff going on, you know, for some of our boys, but it's all right. But we're like, we want it. And so every week we get together and say, we just go around the circle. How's your private world with Jesus? The transformation I've seen in my life and in Andy and Mike's and the other boys that have chosen to do this is nothing short of astonishing. Pete, there's others that are put, the whole crew that's part of this. Nothing short of astonishing. Like, mate, unbelievable. I mean, I don't, these guys are going to get annoyed with me, but welcome to being friends with the pastor when he's preaching every week. But it's like, I mean, Mike's getting up at, like before the sun because he's got a young family. The only time he can find is before, and even then it's marginal, he's sneaking out the door for his prayer walk <laughs> as the kids sort of rustle up to wake up Sunday. It's like, mate, what a legend. Like he's setting the alarm slowly. Luke Buxton's been doing the same. Like down that beach, first thing in the morning before the kids get up because he's like, I want to pursue this. And then he, he's held accountable to it. Not in a real controlling way or a, like everyone, Everyone chooses what they're shooting for, but we hold each other accountable, and it's changing us because it's a, it's a community not of strength but of vulnerability where we share honestly our struggles. And every week we go around the circle and somebody's having a mirror and struggling and somebody's smashing it, and it changes every week. And so, like, you always leave feeling super encouraged, not just by the guy smashing it, but by the fact someone else is struggling as well. It's so good. I'm seeing so much life. And what's happening is we're having different years than we had last year. Like, we're having a different year. Upper click. For me, I'm really, like, I want to have the best private world with Jesus in the church because I'm the pastor. Genuinely. I want to, I want to have, you know, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I want something to imitate. So I'm seeing some pretty high goals around my private world with Jesus, but I'm being held accountable by my friends, and it's changing us. Uh, it's interesting that some of the greatest moves of God came out of groups that were accountable to each other. John Wesley started this thing called the Holy Club in 1729, where boys would get together and hold each other accountable. And that group went on to change the world. Moravian bishops, evangelists, George Whitfield, who's central to the revival in both England and the States, uh, John and Charles Wesley, uh, the, the abolition of slavery. I mean, all of that stuff came from people that were like, we are not going to muck around with doing Jesus. We're going to get in community and hold each other accountable to growing in Him. And they did, and they changed the world. And so um, what we're going to do is that we're going to do three things in this series, but this isn't just a series. This is a shift in how we operate as a church. That's why I got on the, the Facebook and begged you to come. This is why I hope you're listening to this podcast if you're not here. We're going to kickstart this by just a little buffet of um, a little buffet of subjects that help us walk the way of Jesus that have been neglected in many cases in the West. Uh, and so now really important that you understand on every one of these subjects, there's, I'm, I believe there's going to be one in particular that sparks joy for you. Hashtag Marie Kondo. Okay, so there's going to be, this is what I want you looking for. There's going to be, there's going to be uh, one of these is going to be like, that's the thing I think the Lord wants me to work on for the rest of the year. And that's the thing that it's going to be for you. So I'm not expecting everyone to like get all of this stuff in place in your life. It's impossible. This is years of journeying to fight for these habits, the Jesus habits that bring life. But these are the subjects we're going to look at. Growing your private world with Jesus is going to be next week. So the basics around quiet time, like having a good old-fashioned quiet time, hanging out with Jesus 
outside of church? Like, what does that look like today? And what are the tools available to us? And uh, then we're going to look at the power of silence and solitude. How many times did Jesus go away to a lonely place? We're going to look at that. I want to imitate him. Why did he do that? Why was that so important? And how countercultural is this in a world that's rushed and stressed and addicted to smartphones? Very interesting. That's going to be good. Sabbath. This has transformed my life more than any other discipline in, in terms of following Jesus. Oh, the life it's brought to my soul. So we're going to look at Sabbath. Then on Pentecost, because we follow the church calendar, we're going to encourage each other around prophecy. I want to see that go up in terms of a Jesus habit in our church. And we're going to try and encourage one another within that. Praying for others, like growing in confidence, not just in church. We might get Jen to do this one, but praying for people even outside of the church and having the courage to go there. Uh, Then Charlotte's going to be talking about choosing community and the centrality of vulnerability. And we're going to finish and celebrate the end of this season by having a big feed together. Uh, some of you guys remember this from last year, but we're going to have a big feed, and that means we're going to give money to people that love hospitality, and they're going to invite people to come to their homes, and we're going to, like, you're all going to sign up, then you're going to get, it's like, guess who's coming to dinner? You're going to get a text, this is where you're going, and then you're all on the Saturday night going to have a big feed together to celebrate and to eat well and to have nice, really nice food and good company, get to know each other uh, and celebrate our community in that way. So that's one component. The second component attached to this is that every single Sunday, I'm going to give you growth challenges. And they're going to have a beginner challenge, an intermediate. Oh, sorry, let me just, sorry. Out of that series, we're going to go into the school holidays. In term three, we're going to do this course all together as a church, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, a life-transforming course it will utterly transform your life. It's again, because we're pursuing change in the way of Jesus here. We're not just trying to talk about whatever. We're going to really seek this. And I'm, I'm really, I, I ask you from the bottom of my heart that you can commit at least in that term to be in a group. Because if you're not in a group, you're really going to struggle from now on, to be honest. We're going to be pointing to midweek groups as, in, in terms of how we learn together. Home church is going to be really important to us. Okay, homework, beginner, intermediate, and advanced. My expectation is that we all give a nudge to the beginner challenge. Just try it, okay? It's going to be super easy. For example, for the Sabbath one, it's going to be things like, do something you enjoy this weekend. Right? That any, everyone should be doing the beginner challenge. The intermediate challenge is for people that are like, yeah, I want to I just dip my tone a little deeper and find out a little bit more about this. So, for example, as I said earlier, today's intermediate challenge is to simply listen to a podcast that talks about the stages of faith in a lot more depth than I can do today. And then there'll be an advanced challenge that's like, Marie Kondo Sparking Joy, I think this is one I really, really want to pursue a lot deeper. And so, for example, on the Sabbath one, you can tell which ones I've thought about a lot and which ones I haven't, but on the Sabbath one, um, the advanced homework is going to be this eight-week series that an amazing church in the States that's my Vatican, effectively, in terms of what I want it to be like, an eight-week series where they just looked at the Sabbath, and so for eight weeks, you and your significant other could say, okay, on our day off, we're going to start by listening to this talk together and just talking about how we can apply this to our lives so that you go on an eight-week journey, parallel to all the other stuff we're doing, about instituting this together as a family, or if you're on your own, on your own, or however you want to do it, okay? So all of these different things are going to have growth challenges, beginner, intermediate, and advanced. Oh, thank you, Lord, I've still got a little bit of time. Um... I had that little freak out every time I look at my watch, like I'm waiting for it to be 11.40 and just to be completely freaking out. But, yeah, you've got seven minutes. Okay, 
The last thing is accountability in groups. So I have asked all of our Bay Group leaders to add this component to our gatherings. Um, now, some groups may choose to be purely social. Helen's group may just have a feed and it's fine. Okay, but you, you guys will do it. Um, but uh, so I'm, I realize that groups are going to be at different stages in terms of what they're doing and all the rest are absolutely fine. But for the average group, what I would like you to do is to spend 10 minutes, that's all, just, and where people maybe instead of the whole group just get in groups of three or something and just do that around the circle. Like, What's the thing that you are trying to pursue in your private world with Jesus? And it's going to be different for everyone, but we hold each other accountable. Because again, it's like, I know that feels like, whoa, this is a big thing, right? Because I can feel it in the room. But I'm like, what's the alternative? Can we muck around for the next 10 years? Like, I don't, like, at some point, I don't know about you, but I want to really go for it. I want to find out where's the life in Jesus. And so that's going to take a new level of relationship for some of us. But I'm praying today there's a tipping point where we all go, and this is where we're just going to have a prayer time before we finished and take the draw for the <laughs> mother's thing. But it's to say, I'm in again, Lord. I'm in. I want your life. It's, you know. Um, so accountability in groups. Now, if you're not in a group or you can't, it's a struggle. I'm like, well, why don't you do what we're doing with our upper click thing? It's just three of us often. And it's like, why don't you get together with a couple of mates from this church and just say, let's meet together at lunchtime and let's just, let's just have a coffee and ask each other how we're doing on this front. Is that cool? Um, I come into land with this. There's a, um, there's a website called Preacher's Sneakers. Um, now, some of you guys may have seen this. It's really interesting. Uh, so this guy's basically taking photos of, um, of famous Christian <laughs> preachers and pastors and then like just Googling how much their shoes cost. And, uh, and it's eye-watering. Like, it's thousands of dollars. Some guy there's got a $5,000 pair of shoes. Uh, there's another guy here. I mean, it's just, it's sick. It's sick. I, I totally love that he's doing this subversive way of challenging a deeply sinful culture that has become normal in certain circles of the church, right? So, like, this, now this is a total tangent, right? But it's like, now the reason I say that is because, look at my, now, I've got, now some of you guys can't see this, but I've got some pretty flash Nike shoes on. Um, now, but there's a backstory to these shoes. Um, so these shoes, um, I, I actually got given, I've got two pairs, best shoes I've ever owned. These are Nike ones, I've got these other grey Puma ones, which I love, because I'm like, I'm like, man, preacher sneakers, you know? Like, um, but I got these shoes because my dad's neighbour died, uh, and, um, and he gave the shoes to dad, but they're not kind of dad's jam, and so dad's like, do you want these shoes from this dead guy? And I was like, yeah, bro, like, I'll have the shoes from the dead guy. Now, they're a size too big. They're literally, you know, like, you grow into your shoes. I'm lit, they're a size too big, but also, you know, the weird thing is that I'm walking in someone else's shoes, so it's like, you know, like, because I've got a very pronounced heel, so all of my shoes sort of start sinking at the back, and then they, they're your shoes, right? You put them on. So I've been wearing these for like a month now, and I'm like, and they just felt weird initially because I was walking in the dead guy's shoes, and it's like he had a different foot than me. And, uh, but slowly, they're becoming my shoes. Here's my point. Here's my point. On any habit that you choose to put in place in your life, it feels weird for a while, 
It's like you're walking in someone else's shoes and they're Jesus' shoes, but they feel weird because you're used to a different sort of gait, a different sort of walk. And as you start walking in the shoes, but after a while they become your shoes. And so when they talk about any habit or thing that we try and pursue, they often talk about a J-curve or uh, Mike Moriarty put me to, onto this in terms of um, the uh, teaching side of things, an implementation dip. So a J-curve or an implementation dip, and it's simply this idea that when you start a new habit, Again, let's pick Sabbath. It's like, I, wanted, I want Sabbath to be part of my life. And so then you try and like have a good Sabbath, and we're going to talk about what that means in a couple of Sundays. We try and do it well, and it feels weird. You're like, I'm not used to slowing down. Like, how do we do this with kids? Like, you know, I've got a shift-working husband, whatever. And it's like, it feels weird, and it feels like you're having worse days, not better days, because you're feeling more stink about the fact you can't slow down and rest, and there's something, whatever, you know. And it feels, it's like a J-curve. Or you go to read your Bible, and you're like, I'm going to be a person who reads the Bible every day, which, I, which I'm going to push next week. And then you start doing that, and it's weird because you're used to going to Instagram first thing in the morning, and then you, and you've got this little app that's like the Bible, and it's not as enjoyable as Instagram, but you're like, oh, no, no, no. And you're like, why is it so hard? And you're like, oh, it didn't make any sense. And it's like, you just feel like it's the J-curve. It's the implementation dip where it feels awkward and weird. But if you hang in there, it becomes, you, you move to a new place of life. So you, I'm just saying on all of these habits, you, like we are so proud. We are really proud, guys. We like to think we're smashing it and we like how our life is. It kind of works for us for the most part. But what if there's something better in store for us? We just have to have the humility to pursue it and go through a bit of a J-curve to learn to walk in some new shoes. And so this is uh, the reality of what we're going to go through here. And so this is language that can be helpful even in your groups. As you talk about this stuff, it's like there's a bit of a J-curve going on. There's definitely a bit of an implementation dip in terms of feeling like this is the way I live now. But we are going to be a church that even if we fall off the wagon, we're going to choose to get back on the wagon and pursue the life of Jesus. We're not doing this to be accepted by Jesus. We're doing this to find the life in Jesus. Okay? And so you know what? All of this uh, to say we've got some homework this week. Number one, the beginner homework, which I would expect everyone to be able to do, is to just to choose to be in community. A bay group will gather some people together to meet regularly with the purposes of accountability and growth. Like, if this is not in place in your life, you're going to struggle. That is simply the reality. Now, it's an invitation. It's not a demand. And what we're going to be doing is posting all of this on Facebook. In fact, it's already thanks to the scheduling abilities of Facebook, live on our Facebook page, the homework and all the links, okay? The second, um, the second uh, intermediate challenge of homework is to listen uh, to this talk by John Mark Comer and reflect on what spoke to you and share it ideally with your group. Again, if you're not in the beginner thing, then that's the first thing. But you've got to share it with your group. Like, what is it that spoke to you? Bay groups, if you're some of you bay group leaders, like, what do we do this week? Why don't you just listen to the talk in your bay group and have a chat about it? It's absolutely outstanding. Advanced homework, where you're like, oh, I want to go deeper. Uh, there's a book called Sacred Fire, A Vision for a Deeper Human and Christian Maturity by Ronald Rollheiser. Halfway through it myself now, come highly recommended. It's absolutely stunning to put some... To fan into flame this thing of pursuing maturity. All good? So those are the things. Here's, we're going to come into land with this. I want revival in this place. 
I want revival in the bay. I want revival particularly for Marae Nui. I want revival in this church. I want, but I want it to be an inner revival, not some lazy Pentecostal hope that some external Holy Spirit wave's gonna come where we don't have to do anything. That is not how God has changed history. He's changed history where men and women of God have pursued the life of Jesus, that they wanna do what Jesus did, that they wanna be in his presence regularly. They've changed their lifestyle. They've changed their calendar. They've changed their rhythms to become more like Jesus. And an inner revival has started in such a way that they've, and I love what Jen said last week, don't be sharing Jesus if you don't love him to bits where you wanna share about him anyway, right? Like the only way we're gonna see this, this whole region change is when we've got such an inner fire because we've met the one who's given us true life, we can't help but cheer about it. So you've got to come. I'm just another bigger pointing to another bigger saying, there's this food, you've got to come and have it. It's amazing. Like that's what we want here. So that's why we're going to pursue these things. And we're just going to go, this is going to be a regular thing now for Bay Vineyard. We're going to do series where we look at how do we live the life of Jesus. And then in home church environments, we're going to pray for each other, encourage each other, but hold each other accountable to growing in Jesus. And praying that by the Spirit, Spirit of God would have the courage to, to say no to the things we need to know, say no to, disappoint the people we need to disappoint to live the life of Jesus. Move from the kitchen we're making sandwiches, Jesus didn't ask us to make, and to sit at the feet of Jesus, and to abide in Him, and to remain in Him, and to experience the love and the joy and the peace that's found in Him. I'm excited not just because I know these practices can transform us. I'm excited because I'm a pilgrim who wants to know, how do I follow Jesus more? Seriously, as your pastor, I'm excited. For me, I want to grow with you. I'm not, now all of these practices, there's enough in there for me to feel like I can teach about them with some integrity. But oh my gosh, I've got so far to go, so far. I've just dipped my toe in the water on most of them. And I'm like, I've experienced something. And I want to tell the world, these are so life transforming. This is so the way of Jesus. But I can't wait to see what God wants to do in me and in you over these coming years. So that in four or five years time, we're radically different than where we are today. Even if we've been following Jesus for 22 years, that we get out of that cycle and we've got new habits of Jesus in place in our lives that bring life. Amen? That's where we're going to go. Let's pray together. Thank you. Let's just stay seated and let me pray, then I'm going to invite Joe up to, um, to bless some ladies. Lord, we look at your life and, and we are in awe, and we look at our lives and we think, whoa, we've got a long way to go. But Lord, thank you that it's not a pipe dream that we could become like you. It's your invitation and you're with us and for us to lead us in these places of beautiful, beautiful life in you. A life that's filled with the fruit of the Spirit. A life that's filled with just knowing the love of the Trinity, abiding and remaining and just soaking in that love. And so, Lord, I personally say I'm up for it. And, Lord, by your Spirit now, we just spend this moment. If you're up for it, why don't you just say that to the Lord, just in your own hearts. I'm just up for it, Lord. I want it. I want to change this time next year, Lord, we want to be so we want to be different. Lord, we don't want to be radically different, but we want some habits in our lives that have just really changed us. We want to taste and see. So, Lord, I pray that you'd heal us. I pray especially for those of us where community is a real challenge, where we've felt wounded in the past, disappointed, betrayed, where we are waiting to be loved rather than reaching out and loving. Lord, would you help us just to have the courage one more time? to open our homes, to be vulnerable, to invite others to hold us to account. Humble us, Father. Lord, we don't want to have hard hearts. We want to have soft hearts. 
So, Lord, I pray that you'll pour out your healing power on all of us. In some way, shape, or form, people have hurt us at some point. But, Lord, while relationships are often the source of our greatest pain, they're also the source of our greatest healing. So, Lord, help us to choose to once more choose community and to choose accountability and to choose to pursue practices that the church for centuries has pursued and that we in the West have often forgotten. So, Lord, help us to to live that way in Jesus' name. Amen.